I started playing when I was about 10 years old. Uh, I was born in 59, so that would have been like 1969. Um, I, had a, I got a paper route, and I actually had a few paper routes, and uh, bought some drums. I got introduced uh, to a snare drum from some friends of mine, and that's when I figured out I really wanted to play. And um, yeah, I just kind of started grabbing my mother's records and my brother's records, and I was listening to the radio, and I used to run around with a little cassette recorder, and I'd play all this old Motown music, and, and uh, I just really remember just playing the radio and listening to, to a lot of music on the radio. And, and then after I got my first drum set, uh, the first song I learned was a song called Proud Mary by Cantina Turner. And um, that was my mother's record. And, you know, um, it was exciting. You know, I mean, I'm pretty much self-taught for the most part. You know, I studied later in life, you know, but from about, from grammar school, that was about fifth, sixth grade. And once I got into middle school, I took a I took snare drum, uh, marching band, and um, I really wasn't crazy about being in the marching band, but I was crazy about drums and playing set drums, you know. So, at any rate, um, you, we're, we're getting into like 1970, 71, and by the time I hit 73, my parents had gotten a divorce and uh, we moved. Now. Mind you, I was doing okay in school, but I wasn't doing great. And by the time the divorce happened and I moved to Hayward, California in the Bay Area, things kind of went downhill with the schooling thing. But um, I started hanging around a few guys I probably shouldn't have hung around. and Started getting in trouble a little bit, you know. And um, the byproduct of that you know, wasn't good. <laughs> Let me just say that, you know. I, uh, I ended up about my, probably was about 15 years old when I started getting serious about playing though. Because I, I was playing a little bit, but I wasn't really playing in many bands and I got offered to play with some older guys. And as I was playing with these guys, man, they would smoke so much pot, man, I would just, and they'd always hand it to me, and you know, me being the people pleaser I was, man, I'd just sit there and smoke pot with them, and then I'd try to play with them. And I just was like, man, I'm just too stoned to play. <laughs> you know, I'm young, man, and I'm like, this ain't working, man. I'm going to have to get out of this thing. Because I really did want to play, I didn't want to smoke the pot, uh, but you know. Uh, and I was just not a good pot smoker anyway, I just get paranoid on it anyway. But anyway. Unfortunately, or I should say fortunately for that, I got out of the band and I actually ended up getting in a band, this band called Whisper. Uh, this guy, Scott Payne, and we played in 1977. I was 17 years old and I did my first Battle of the Bands. And the band, we won. It was freaking awesome, man, you know. Uh, I was Back then, I was following this guy around by the name of Leonard Hayes, and Leonard Hayes played Wayne yesterday and today before Y&T. And he was, you know, they, it was before their first record even came out. And um, I remember going back and forth, you know, to the Starwood in Los Angeles, and like 
you know, late 70s, you know, and there was a really great music scene happening in Los Angeles at the time, but, but you know, anyway, fast forward, you know, I was with that band Whisper, and then I had an opportunity, uh, just, actually, you know, that was 77, actually, it was shortly right after that, after we won the battle, that's right, I, I went to, I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, I had an opportunity to move out there and play for a little while, which I did. In Memphis, I just had this cover band I played in with these guys, and, which actually was a lot of originals too. This guy, Benny Labarge, and he was really into Freddie Mercury and Queen and Blackmore. And we were playing a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, a lot of Purple, Rainbow Rising, um, along with um, a lot of Queen. We played a lot of Queen. We played some covers, but we actually had a lot of music that we had written. And some of the songs Benny wrote actually ended up, Y&T recorded Lipstick and Leather. Benny wrote it. We did the demos on that when I was young. And on their song called Do You Know, it was on that same record. Um, but at any rate, uh, Benny was a good writer, you know, we had a kind of a good thing going. By the time we got back and, you know, I was playing around the, the Bay Area local scene, which was cool. There was a lot going on, you know, musically, a lot of bands, which was a lot of fun. So it was a great place to be at that time. And, you know, that band broke up. And then there was this band called 415, which that band was Eric Martin, the singer for Mr. Big. Before Eric Martin Band, which I was in, which is in 1982, we made the record. Sucker for a Pretty Face record on Electra Records. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that at all, but. You know, I was like 23 years old, but you know that was like my first real big break and got introduced to, you know, making records, which was really cool. And I remember the record release party we had down at Electra Records. I remember Motley was on there, and I remember some Nikki Six and some of those guys running around the office. I didn't know any of them at the time, but um, yeah, it was a good scene back then. You know, I remember. Um, Quiet Riot was out. I remember Bang Your Head was freaking blowing up, and it was a lot, you know, the Motley thing was obviously doing well. And Rat, I think, was out at that, at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, we got a little traction. We were managed by this guy, Herbie Herbert, who managed Journey. And then we went out on the road with Journey, went to Hawaii with them, and we did about six nights at the Blaisdell Center, sold out opening for them in Honolulu, which was really cool. And then um, I came back, we did American Bandstand, we went on the ZZ Top Eliminator tour for a little bit. So we kind of did pretty okay, but the record company had um, closed the West Coast office, and this gal, Max Hansatoris, who signed us, um, she was let go, and um, when, when things had closed down, it just kind of changed the whole relationship with us and the label. And I remember um, Tom Worman had come in, and he had wanted us to record a couple songs, which we actually did do for him. And we came back a few weeks later after doing that, and he was gone, and then Roy Thomas Baker was in there. You know, it was really. But, and, and shortly after that, we were just let go. There was nothing happening with us in Electric. So, that's kind of where, you know, the last couple gigs I was playing, I, you know, I, I, there's this guy, Dwayne Hitchings, 
he was in the band Cactus with Carmine Peace back in the day. And um, he called me up, he was over at Eddie Money's house. And uh, Eddie was in Oakland, I was in San Leandro, 15 minutes down the road. And he said, hey man, I'd like to come play this demo of this new band I'm working with, they're called City Kid. And I'm like, cool man, come on over. So he came over to the house and played me like two songs, they had a drum machine on there. And, um, you know, uh, he said, hey man, if this, you know, doesn't work for you, Eddie was asking about you, you know. This is where it's kind of a game changer for me because sometimes we can chase the money around and I was thinking, and I'd been on the road with Eddie, with Eric Martin, we were doing dates together and I knew his drummer, so I kind of had the insight on what was going on there and I was young enough to go, man, I, I, I want to... I want to be in a band, you know, I had just enough of that. I always wanted to be in a band. I didn't want to be a side guy, a hired gun. And uh, so at any rate, I said, no, I, I like this singer. I said, I'd like to check him out and see the band, you know. So I went out to the Oasis Ballroom in Sacramento and I watched him for two nights. And, um, you know, after focusing on the band, you know, I kind of went through all the members of the group. And by the time I got to Jeff, he had held my attention all night. And I realized that I thought, yeah, I really want to do this. I think the only thing missing from this band is me. You know, if I get in here, I think I could bring something to the group because they were they were looking for a new drummer, and they were clearly interested in me. And I thought, well, yeah, I really want to check this out. So we got together, we played, and felt great, and uh, joined the band. And I mean, uh, we rehearsed and worked. It was incredible work relationship we had and I pretty much gave up everything to do it at the time um, and we would rehearse you know I'm not exaggerating 10 to 12 hours a day six days a week for the first three months it seemed like and we might have cut it down to five days I, seriously and stayed 10 days 10 hours and we were just working writing go back and forth we did a few showcases went to the country club and showcased opening for kill for, uh, it was actually it turned out to be Geffen, which was Electra at the time, because Tom Zutat was an Electra, but he was making the move with Teresa Ensign on. She's the one who saw the band and brought us to Tom. And um, so anyway, what happened there was Tom flew out, seen the band in the club, liked the band, and uh, decided he was gonna, we were gonna be one of the signings for him. It might even have been his first signing, possibly. We, uh, not only did we get the record deal, we, uh, we had an opportunity for Cliff Bernstein and Peter Mensch with Q Prime Management to come out and see the band. Tom brought that in, uh, which was pretty exciting. So once we got with them, it felt like things really started to kind of pick up quick. So uh, we went to Bearsville Studios, Upper State New York, Woodstock, and we recorded our first record. Uh, with Steve Thompson, Michael Barbiero, uh, that was real pleasant. Mechanical resonance, you know, we got it out. The record came out December of '86, I think it was. It hit radio by January of '87. We hit out with David Lee Roth, you know, and that's kind of where this whole thing really got started. The first ten years for the band, and we just stayed in arenas, you know. Not only did we do support them, then we went out after David, we went out with Alice. And after we went out with Alice Cooper, we went out, uh, we went on the Hysteria tour with Def Leppard for like 15 months. That was all of Canada, Europe, and the US. And then 
from there, I think we finished up and we'd come home and we'd write the second record real quick. And we just got back out on the road and we'd go out for another 15 months. Modern Day Cowboy came out. That was the first single. And it blew up. And, it's, and that, that one track took us to about 360,000 records. And um, by the time we were getting to some of the other videos like Susie and Getting Better and things like that, you know. I remember we were playing in Long Beach Arena with Megadeth. And I remember we got our first gold record. They brought us our first gold record that night. And that was a pretty exciting time, you know. Now, mind you, I mean, you know, I never seen it this many years later to think, I never thought it through that far, you know. I mean, you know, we were, we were all in and we just stayed on the road, like I said, for 10 years. And, we toured and we toured and then we'd be, you know, we've gotten to a position where we were headlining arenas, which was exciting. I mean, for me, when I knew that things were really happening is when we got to Psychotic Supper, we went to New York and we made this record called Psychotic Supper. Now, mind you, we had the second record, which was Great Radio Controversy, which had Love Song, had The Way It Is, Heaven's Trail. I mean, there was some strong radio with those songs. You know, and uh, I mean, what you know, obviously with Love Song going top 10, that blew up, and that was a real exciting time where you feel like, wow, man, the momentum's really freaking going great right now, and this is really cool. And the next thing we know, man, you know, we went out to do some more touring, and we were asked to play at the BAMI, the Bay Area Music Awards, the BAM Awards, which was a local thing in San Francisco, which was a really cool scene, Bad Magazine, and there was always bands playing and they would have the one year big celebration and award show. So this gal, Queenie Taylor, she got an idea that had like, hey, why don't Tesla come and why don't they perform two songs acoustically? So we did. So we went in and we played these songs acoustically. And the next thing we know, she really liked that. And then she asked if we would go ahead and you know, you you need to. Um, we too loud over here. No, we're good. No, no, no. Okay. So the next thing we know, uh, she's asking us to come into this club called Slims and do a whole show. So we went out on the Doctor Feel Good Motley tour. While we were out with Motley, we branched off and we did these five or six acoustic dates, which was Boston, Detroit, New York, Philadelphia, Trocadero, which we was the only show we recorded. And, you know, um, and it was just for our own personal archives that was never intended to come out. We just thought, ah, oh, a little special something for the fans down the road, like we would do, you know. And Joe, I mean, so Jeff and Frank and Tommy were in Boston uh, and, and live on the radio, and they played Signs, and it became the number one most requested song. And so the record companies call us up saying, hey, man, we want to check out those masters, that club we know you recorded. We're like, no, we don't want to put it out. They're like, well, we want you to, we want to check this out. So anyway, we went and mixed it up and we just threw it out there. And we didn't think it was that great, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it turned out to be uh, kind of a thing, you know. And next thing we know, you know, the whole unplug thing's blowing up and... Then we go on to record Psychotic Supper, fast forward back around. This is where I really knew, because Science had gotten so much airplay and just coming off of Love Song. I mean, that was a pretty 
big time for us and we're selling millions of records and now we're co-headlining arenas but now we're going to go and we're going to start to this is where things really is like wow things are happening because now we've got psychotic supper record we did we recorded it in new york city which was an exciting record we, we had um a lot of strong tracks on that record as well with what you give and such but now we're going to go out and do a headlining tour uh so we go into pre-production and we're in uh i forget what arena was it hershey pennsylvania possibly i think it might have been we might have because we were in there i think we were in that arena for like three or four days and we had you know now we're on a full production arena tour now now it's not mind you it's not big like you know 10 12 15 trucks or anything but we had four trucks four buses about you know 35 people working with the band and that was an exciting time for us you know and um so now we head out for the psychotic supper tour and it was great now we're on our first real headlining arena tour uh and that's when i really realized like wow man things are going pretty darn good you know Thank you.